All right, if you are here, you are listening to an episode of Sky King's Mental Playground, Polkadot Web 3, and NFT Edition. So I've been running a podcast for a little over a year. We launched the first ever long-form podcast, NFT, with Bruno, who is episode one on this side of the world. And the entire time, it's been an experiment on the business model of media. We are launching now because I am looking for a technical co-founder. And so I'm going to be putting out all of the episodes that we have focused on around Polkadot, around Kusama, around NFTs, and around Web3 onto this channel, which is free. The other ones were behind a paywall because I do believe media should be paid for. But this is going to be an opportunity to connect, get more audience members, you know, just decrease the friction to listen. If you want to hear the other episodes, we've had some amazing guests, everybody from, you know, Professor Robin Hansen, Chris Williamson, um, a bunch of solo casts, Q&As, stuff like that. You can go to skmp.supercast.com. But, and without further ado, if you would like to build a company, one that is focused on changing the business model of media, one that leverages the power of Web3, but has a UX and experience that feels very native and easy to use. I have a vision for something I am calling Stoa, and I need your help to build it. So I'm going to drop a link like right in the description. If you're interested or anybody you know who you think would be a good fit, even just to have a conversation and to learn more, you can hit that link, fill out the form, and we will be in touch Welcome to this episode of Sky King's Mental Playground. Stability. Don't take yourself too seriously. We stand on Sky King's Mental Playground. The only loss Breathe. in life is not realizing your potential. Yeah. Build the world you want to see. Yeah. Sky King's Mental Playground. Uh, <laughs> Agile, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Super stoked to have you. How have you been? Thanks, uh, thanks, SK. Uh, I'm being good, mate. I've um, I've been doing a little bit of traveling. Uh, I've been working really, really hard. Um, and I traveled for the first time and second time with uh, with my girlfriend very recently. So it's been a bit of a f- bit frantic, but like really exciting and really good. I've been well. Yeah, we were talking a, a bit before this. It, it reminded me a lot of when people think about Web3, one of the strawman arguments is like, this is only going to be used by criminals. And I think that what really hit me and what you were saying earlier, and if you can go back into it, that'd be great, but it's not traveling was anything wrong. It's not like it should have been illegal to travel. And yet Mm. that was excluded from you. And then when you release that exclusion, like it's a, it's a, you feel the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess um, what we were discussing is like traveling for the first time after uh, spending basically two years grounded in Australia, um, which is which is my home, which is where I'm from. Um, but also, I think we've all uh, we've all been kind of shocked a little bit by you know our the places where we live and and uh, and I certainly really didn't I took for granted the fact that I was able to leave Australia, go and explore other places, and come home to this very like straightforward, safe place. And um, and the and an idea of an Australia where I can't go and visit other places um, definitely reframed things for me. Definitely kind of felt kind of uh, 
a lot a lot different a lot less valuable or a lot less special um and so yeah when i when we were when we lost our ability to travel you even though you might not have had the plan to leverage that you know you might not have planned to leverage that freedom when you lose the option you lose the option it does feel really material i think psychologically it's a real uh, it's a real loss and um when i left australia for the very first time and uh i arrived in uh in germany i felt like an overwhelming sense of relief which i definitely didn't expect to feel it was it was really struck me and i think it's like just um it like it is it in itself was a part of getting over like the lockdown you know like showing myself that i could leave even though you know conceptually like um but yeah very strange and i'm rethinking my life uh like ever since these lockdowns i've it's massively changed my perspective on what government is um and how i should relate to it and i'm sort of reorganizing my life based on that yeah i know we were talking earlier about how it's weird to go to different countries and see the different cultural reactions or legal reactions to covid or this kind of post covid mm. era we're moving into i felt that a lot in the united states because living in Texas, all my family's in California and New York and our experiences, especially in the first year, were so divergent. Like we did not have the same experience in any way. Like they lived in a state of fear and anxiety and I kind mm. of just hung out. It was very odd to watch that happen. And then to think about the scale at which it's happening and, and to put in the context of now, right? Where China mm. is having the most lockdowns they've ever had. And we are kind of, you know, calling it post COVID. Whereas yeah. when we were doing lockdowns, they were calling it post-COVID. So it's very odd. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've I briefly caught some news about what's happening in China and it's pretty full on. Um, I, uh, yeah. And, but yeah, the United States was incredibly polarized. You guys are like, you, you guys really should be a bunch of different countries. You know, you're like, it's the, at a federal level, it's just mostly like a big economic union. Like nobody, Nobody, you guys have got really different people. Um, and uh, I'd love to come to Texas and see, uh, like, it seems like I'm obviously hearing a lot on Twitter and things that sort of Austin is the new sort of boom town. And uh, even before that, I was kind of always loosely aware that Austin was this like blue, blue city or blue region in like the middle of red Texas, which mm -hmm. has always been really interesting to me. Yeah, dude, it's, I absolutely love it here. My favorite part is there's, I found that on the coast, having lived in California and New York, that there's, in California, there's like an apathy and in New York, there's like a cynicism and everyone mm -hmm. here, I actually say there's something in the water in those places. I don't know what it is, but everyone here is like stoked and excited to be here. And yeah. uh, I've heard, I've heard from, and I don't know that this is true, but I've heard that there's something in the water here that like the peyote fields in Arizona, like we <laughs> share that watershed and then that's why it's such a magical place. I don't know. Right. We can fact check that one, but it, it yeah. could be true. It could be true. I, I, ever since I got to Europe, I, uh, I've been seeing uh, a lot of planes with like, uh, you know, the trails that they leave in the air. And it's yeah. <laughs> like, I see, I see why people believe in chemtrails, man. Like, For sure. Is, this is a, this is like hanging out in, in, uh, in, uh, the Netherlands, you know, it's a pretty advanced society. They're pretty smart. They're pretty organized. I mean, they're pretty rich because they pinched a lot of stuff from other people in the past, but even <laughs> more, they're, like, they're, uh, they're, they're doing pretty well. And then there's all these planes flying overhead all the time. I was like, maybe it's the chemtrails, man. Maybe that's, that's what it is. It's 
Um, this is actually, this is a really good segue into something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Like I tend to be very pro freedom of speech, but it also scares me when our education system, especially I think in the United States was built for a manufacturing society. It's built for follow hmm. the leader. So how do you actually have freedom of speech in a society that doesn't think critically? And that's something that I've been kind of struggling with a little bit because I want us to have absolute freedom of speech and I want us to think critically, but there's like a 40 year gap where if I could, if we just fix the education system right now, it would still, we'd have a populace that was just set to clock in clock out for a very mm. long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, so I guess like you, yeah, you want freedom of speech. Uh, but most people think this like, their views come in this sort of packaged box because they've been in like trained by some system. I mean, it's kind of, it's good that we have things like Twitter and we can all yell at each other and emotionally vomit on each other. Cause then at least like, you know, it's, it's humbling to see that really nobody has a bloody clue what they're talking about. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's, a, I don't, I don't know. I think to, to get, uh, to become sort of, to think critically, you have to, I don't know how you empower people, man. You have to, uh, people have to empower themselves. That's what I believe. And I think you can encourage them, but they have to choose to do it themselves. Um, but certainly, uh, choosing to empower yourself is sort of, uh, increasingly difficult in a noisy, maybe in a noisy world, um, you know, where there's less, less clear signal. Yeah, for sure. It's like, what do you, what do you want to focus on? And there's so much, so much too. Mm. You did, you, you retweeted something. So it was just a retweet. So I don't know if you have like a good context for walking through this, but it was from zero HP Lovecraft. And it was a graph of different Overton windows, like the classic Overton window, reality, Mm. multiple overlapping windows, Overton illusion, open society, and then us in this epistemic divorce. Would love to get your thoughts on that. I just thought that was a cool mental model. I mean, that that Twitter account, Zero HP Lovecraft, like he says some pretty bonkers things. Like he claims to be a fascist and and seems to believe very strongly in like in his version of the in in his version of the world. If he was allowed to run it as a fascist, he has some pretty uh, pretty uh, closed minded ideas about um, basically regressing back to our 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 roots. But um, I just thought that was, that was a really interesting mental model. Like, it's we have this new problem, which is like in this like abundance, this society which has mass information everywhere, is uh, you know, there's actually too much information to consume, and so we just like we live in these different different worlds. Like, we we the the problem is kind of like you were talking about thinking critically before, and I think the problem is anyone who doesn't learn to uh, unpick someone's argument and, and and poke holes in it. Anyone who isn't a skeptic uh, is like is going to struggle because you have if you if you want to learn, oh, how do I become healthier? Or how do I do this? Or what's the solution to this problem? You you sort of pull any type anything into Google and you try to pull a particular thread of inquiry. You're going to get immediately marketed a million you know different ideas and products and and things and, and you're going to get because of the advertising model you're going to get all of this information which has been designed to uh, influence you into buying products and so 
there's unfortunately not like very it's very difficult to have like sincere inquiry you know unless you find the right people to talk to or you are able to poke holes in all those ideas and all that information and defend yourself and i think uh yeah anyone like anyone like the zero hp lovecraft guy who anyone who proposes interesting mental models for understanding the like and parsing signal out of the noise i think is uh is worth worth like looking at like it's certainly i don't it's the first time I've encountered like that uh, mental model. Like, I kind of knew about the Overton window before, um, but uh, but yeah, the, I think the the what was it epistemic divorce? Like, so the idea yeah. that like what constitutes knowledge we don't actually agree on. Like, different groups have divor- have become completely divorced in what they believe constitutes knowledge. I think that's true. I think we have a lot of people that live by ideologies have like irreconcilable, fundamentally irreconcilable ideas, right? So they live live within these sort of mental models. So BMA, yeah, I don't know how you get out. Like I personally am very interested in trying to pick the lock and like escape, you know, reality. And, uh, and I've had a number of experiences that I'm very grateful for that have like, like led me down that path, but you can't like, what's the saying in the matrix, you know, like you can't, these people, these minds aren't ready to be woken up, you know, waking them up mm. and kill them. You know, people got to wake yeah. up themselves uh somehow whatever that means you know uh, they got to question their reality whatever their reality is uh because out of their own choice um, what's scary though is that i think because of what we were talking about earlier with the different realities that everybody like these such extreme different realities everybody went mm-hmm. through with covid whatever the measures were in their local areas if anything all we've done is create a larger epistemic divorce across the globe mm-hmm. which is even yeah. like again like like we're in this chill zone right now, living in here in New York right now, I'm in Austin. But again, like my Chinese friends are going through a very different experience right now. And their entire reality and the stars that are going to be hitting them or something that I've never experienced, I experienced at a different time in my life. Mm. And just that separation of reality, I think is, and like, they're going to hear Omicron and we're going to think cold and they're going to think my grandma died from not getting her medication. Not of COVID, but of whatever else she had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I like, I mean, I think there's cause for optimism. Like you, like within your statement, there's the implication that we are, that there's a global community, right? Like, like, of course, different groups, like different groups at massive scales are going to have, they're going to, those groups are founded on different ideas. And so, they're not, and, and, and they're going to, and they like those ideas because those ideas are how, like, leveraging them is how they benefit from the system and the, and the kind of the, the group that they're a part of. Um, but like, yeah, there is like, and, and these, and these ideas aren't reconcilable, you know? Um, uh, and so we need some kind of like new set of ideas, new, we need some new worldview. Maybe, maybe we do. I mean, I like, I'm not, I feel like it's actually quite treacherous to get into the business of, you know, deciding what, how society should be organized, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, like it, all this information is out there and, um, and people can, you know, people are not going to go from left to right. They're not going to be in, you know, one camp of school of thought and then explore the other set of ideas and then be convinced what they're going to, what they have to realize is the irreconcilability of these worldviews and and abandon you know abandon their prior association to either group you know but um 
but uh, yeah, I mean, depending on where you are in the world, that's more and less easy to do. I'm very grateful to to be able to live in Australia and travel Europe and believe what I want to believe. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. Do do you think we should have? Do you think we should be a global group within a you know global sort of I don't know ideology? What would you call something? What's better than an ideology? <laughs> I I. I, I definitely don't just because I don't think we have any foresight on what's coming down the pipeline. And if evolution right. taught us anything, it's that we don't know what skills or governmental systems will need to survive the next issue. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I think we're more of one than we realize. Uh, if you look at nuclear power, it was globally decided not to use it. Yeah. You know, there was no one world government, but the U S went in and made sure nobody used it. So I think we're a lot more cohesive and aligned than we think, even if the technical uh, government of the world is anarchy, it, it seems like we're heading more and more the direction um, of that. I had Robin Hansen on. Are you familiar with him at all? No, no never heard of him. So he's working with Zeitgeist. He's kind of the, as, as a uh, advisor, but he's kind of basically one of the people who, from like an academic standpoint, popularized the idea of prediction markets and using that for governance. And he also, mm -hmm. his, his new book is about centralized and decentralized systems. And we talked about in a billion years, is the, is the world going to be a world where we're quiet, loud or we're quiet? Okay. Do we go out into the universe and find other civilizations or do we let them come and find us? Right. And he's, continuing continuing to think that we actually live already in some sort of one world government that's just not very clearly delineated and we will always choose security over freedom and in doing so we will become quiet it was a really really crazy conversation but mm. that was the gist and i don't know where i'm at like my ideal world is like seven thousand governments with a million yeah, people each it doesn't even have to be geographical but i just yeah, I'm obsessed with this idea. Like, I just want that experiment. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm definitely also a natural selection maximalist. You know? uh, I think uh, that that clearly works, you know. And um, uh, I, I don't, I don't like, not necessarily in that it should be more or less imposed, but it's, it's going to happen. Uh, and um, in terms of like a world government, we are, I think globalization means that we are all entangled financially and we all actually depend on each other in certain ways. I think I don't understand enough about like the, about the global economic system. I mostly listen to like podcasts of, uh, I don't know if you ever listened to the all in podcasts, a couple of billionaires like oh, yeah. Kevin Yarns. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, they, uh, it's like uh, Chamath Palahapatiya, uh, Jason Sachs, um, uh, I think I just completed some names. Anyway, I can't remember the, the nerds. Yeah, David but, Sachs, hey, Jason, David, uh, Jason, Jason, yeah. yeah, Jason Calcanis, David Sachs, and um, yeah. and Friedberg, and um, they spend so like they spend so much time thinking about macro markets. Like, like I'm I'm kind of like a capitalist, but I'm sort of on the ground, you know, build building a business, and and really I'm only concerned with like the private markets and sort of like a little bit like thinking about culture and the Overton window and what people are sort of ready for and not but these guys are, are deploying hundreds of millions of dollars and they're sitting around trying to feel like they have to pay attention to how much food we grow and like all this incredibly fundamental stuff and uh yeah it's and the more that i listen to these guys the more i sort of get the impression that there's good and bad actors you know in the kind of the global system or at least um and but um you know 
mostly rational actors. And uh, I don't quite know how, you know, agreeing to not using nuclear weapons was orchestrated, but it's certainly like more and more we are dependent on each other for food and for, uh, for resources and for, you know, uh, all of the things that make our economies function and create all of the jobs. And, uh, and so, yeah, it seems like even if we're adversarial more and more, there's, there's a rational requirement to keep the game going. And so, um, yeah, I'm reasonably optimistic. Um, but I think we're going to have some, I'm sure that when the time came, you know, that nuclear power and weapons were being invented, it was probably a pretty terrifying time for the people, uh, that were my age and who were wondering about their future. And, uh, yeah, the, I, I think we're going to have some similar experiences just with different technologies, but broadly, yeah. I'm pretty optimistic about how rational the system actually is. Yeah. Luckily, like the incentives are aligned for survival at some level, like the economic incentives are aligned to keep, keep going forward, keep the bag filling up. Yeah. But uh, to what you're saying about like being someone, you know, in the sixties during cold war time and mm. being our age, that was one thing I like, I really think the boomers, like the reason why they don't see long-term problems very well was because when they were in high school and in their twenties, they were sitting under desks hoping that protected them from a nuclear bomb. It's like, they don't really think long-term because they were, right. weren't sure if they're going to make it that far. You know right. what I mean? Like it was never guaranteed. So it's almost like they live in the moment a lot better than millennials. They get it while it's good. And they've been exactly good in the real estate industry for the past, you know, 30 years. Yes, for sure. Right. Real estate, oil and gas, like all of it. They're just like, fuck it. We got to eat while we can eat. It's why they have obesity issues, like Alzheimer's, <laughs> all of it, because like that's what my dad's like to a T. He's like, why would I stress about the future? Like you never know what's going to go. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, you were hiding under your desk from a nuclear bomb, which would have been sick uh, yeah. for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, you have a tweet about, or you retweeted someone, this guy, Loopy, it said, outcomes ranked. Asking and getting a yes, not asking, asking and getting a no. How do I switch the order of two and three in my brain? And you said, know your values, become more afraid of self-betrayal than rejection, which I thought was one, a great answer to this question, but two, more importantly, a very good guide for how to exist and make sense of the world. Mm. Do you have any, and this kind of is a thread I'm trying to pull through this whole combo, but do you have any advice or thoughts on how you were able to know yourself better, how you were able to walk up, how you were able to ask the right questions? Only through failure, man. Like I think, um, I think over time you learn more about what's good for you and what, it, what, what constitutes like self-love and what constitutes self-harm and, um, and in different domains, whether it's work or relationships, like you learn more about yourself, but you have to engage with your failures, you know, like, um, I think we kind of go through life with a certain worldview and that worldview you know, our, our, what we do is we tend to ignore everything that doesn't fit into that worldview. And, uh, and, and if our worldview is like not robust enough to actually perceive our environment correctly, suddenly you're like the Titanic and you hit an iceberg and you, you know, you're betrayed or you are, you know, like you're, you walk into traffic or whatever you do and like you, you get destroyed and hopefully it doesn't kill you. 
hopefully you can rebuild, but like your whole worldview, you put in into sufficient danger or trauma that your worldview needs to like be, be fixed and reintegrated. So, you, so it doesn't happen again. Um, and so yeah, it's only through failure and pain that I think you, um, I think you kind of wake up uh, because um, yeah, I think the, the, I, the first time I um, engaged most with um, with this idea of like self betrayal was like in the in my last business when I was running Flex. Um, uh, so for those who don't know, I ran a venture studio called Flex Apps, and um, across uh, over the course of that business, you know, like we went from being this like obscure amateur dev agency to quite a well-renowned, you know, uh, venture studio. And then eventually we were like in the industry, we were like a very hot girl. Everyone wanted to work with us. Everyone wanted to partner with us. And within our community, we saw us, like I saw my status rise massively. And um, yeah. And I think like just out of ignorance about, you know, what's actually important, you know, myself and my business partner, both, lost romantic relationships over the course of doing that business um and uh yeah and 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 over time you 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 kind of recalibrate because you know we're, we're quite dumb our monkey brains you know want status and pleasure and excitement and adrenaline and we, we want all of these things but actually it's not necessarily sustainable or it's or it's selfish and it's it's like people permit you to do it but it's actually degrades your relationships around you and you got to figure out what actually has value and it's and what you what feels good is not always a proxy for what has value and so if you can uh then figure out how to make sure that you yeah you create the things that have value and that actually make you happy and don't just give you like short term pleasure um that's a lot better and if you sort of trade in those things for short term pleasure it's like self betrayal it's like it's 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 a it's a kind of self harm, but it's like it plays out in a subversive way that you can't perceive. It's harder to perceive unless you know you reach a critical mass. But um, I don't know, man. Experience and like also like I really like um, I really like uh, Alain Dubotton's like uh, School of Life YouTube channel. There's like a lot of practical mm. philosophy in there. Um, I think just find some if you want to know yourself better find some people to hang out with who challenge you and uh and love you enough to tell you or give you honest feedback about how you might be a dickhead sometimes um <laughs> you know that's that's hard it's rare to find people who do that for you and then try and read some philosophy and figure out you know um and realize that like people have faced the same sort of problems again and again in life uh and uh and you get to and, it, and it's actually up to you to decide what you value rather than um you know have the market decide for you through culture or so, so through like consumerist culture or something like that yeah allow advertising to dictate what you what you value um yeah, man. No, i think that was well put in this idea of self-deception i don't i haven't mm -hmm. heard it phrased like that before but I, I do think that's a very like insidious but common action and I almost think one way, and you said it was very hard to realize, or it's like subversive, right? It's hard to realize what's going on, what's going on. But I think one way to do it is to put a stake in the ground. And when I was in high school, I was obsessed with Ernest Hemingway. And, you know, he always talked about this code, like he lived by a code. And his code was dumb. It was like, I'm going to take 
shots to the head by like sailors, but that wasn't the best code for him in the long term. But he had a code. <laughs> and I do think if people put stakes in the ground, you know, write down what their values are, and then it's on paper, clearly written, and then they break their values, like, oh shit, I'm committing self-deception. And that yeah. is something that it like it only hurts you. Mm. Like it, it's just corrosive. Yeah, man, like um I uh it's funny, like as I get older, I'm becoming weirdly more religious. Not like like or just leveraging religion and spirituality as a way of as a kind of knowledge to actually guide myself a lot more. Um yeah. uh and um uh but yeah, like you I think if yeah, it's it helps to define things explicitly. But when you're young, you don't know what you want, you know, like um so yeah it definitely helps to define things explicitly the first the first time i really the first like way i really thought about this was like after my last relationship ended so my ex-girlfriend broke up with me in a very unexpected way and it felt very much like a betrayal it's very surprising and when when that happens to you 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 sort of tend to go through all of your like all those previous memories and sort of open the trap door and sort of inspect and figure out, you know, like it reframes your perception of a lot of things. And um, yeah. And, and I started to work on like my, like I'm, a, I'm actually pretty agreeable and anxious person sometimes, you know, especially when I really want uh, to feel secure in a relationship and, you know, start to see how I can be, I can betray myself by being overly concerned with what other th people think of me when it's actually easier to just have values and to have rules for yourself and a code within which you operate. And then, you know, you, you, then if you, if you're, if you're consistent with that, like you are going to only have things come into your life that can actually integrate correctly with that. Um, and so, um, yeah. Whereas to like, try to like try to please people trying to please people is a massive kind of self-betrayal because you know most of the time you're not even going to please them <laughs> you're just gonna you're just gonna suppress yourself and uh there's gonna be like and you'll get some reassurance you know that you're uh that they'll that you're gonna be that that person will continue to like you or whatever but uh but often there's it's no benefit to them it might even be a detractor to them they might be incredibly uncomfortable about it you know for sure, man. Yeah. I, I, it's crazy because I just finished this thing called 75 Hard. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the concept? No, no, no. So please tell. So, so essentially, it's 75 days, um, work out twice a day, 45 minutes each time. One of them has to be outside. It can be as leisurely as a fast walk, but it has to be two workouts. One has to be outside. Mm -hmm. Read 10 pages in a book, drink a gallon of water, stick to a diet, whatever the diet is you choose, but no, no cheat meals no alcohol, take a body photo every day. And if you miss any of those things in one 24 hour period, you have to restart. So it took me three attempts. I finally finished it this year, mm. but it was crazy to see how much I was more willing, even though these things weren't necessarily my values, but I decided I was going to commit to them. How much easier it was for me to prioritize and say no to these other things that people wanted from me because I knew I wasn't going to let myself down on this thing. Right. 
you know, the times that I had failed before were uh, I got really, really sick and I had like a, a hundred and like four degree fever. And I was like, yeah, I'm not working out a second time today. It was like 110 degrees outside in Austin. And I was like, I, I can't do this. Like, And the second yeah. time was Dan Reeser's bachelor party where I was like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but this year I was like, I'm making this through, like I'm going to finish. And I yeah. did it. And it was like, okay if I just clearly write down what rules I'm committing to, and I think, you know, doing it for a 30 day, 45 day, cause it's, I don't think you really know what you want until you mm-hmm. test a bunch of shit. Kind of like what you're saying earlier, you just got to fail through it. Right. But you got to commit to something long enough to know that you made it at least like a priority. You struggled with it a little bit and then decide yes or no, this is the direction I want to go. And then you can iterate on that to figure out where your code is. So now I'm thinking, okay, those seven things aren't really doing it for me as far as what my code of like how I, what I want to do every day. So let me iterate on the stuff I did like, like definitely going to keep drinking a gallon of water that felt good. Um, and then how do I build my own 75 card, you know, like 75 sky. I'm just like, what is actually within my values that I want to do every day? Definitely making these things explicit, I think helps with confidence because like mm-hmm. um, your like your confidence is based on your like previous success in doing, actually doing what you say in actually accomplishing what you intend to accomplish. And, um, and like that, your, your like trust with yourself or your like, um, like honor or political capital with yourself when you actually say you want to do something that, uh, that informs your personality, right? Like when you, you'll you'll be more honest and direct with people and you'll say no to things because you mean it when you say yes. And when you say yes, people will actually trust you. And like that has massive benefits, but like, yeah, committing to anything is, is just better because you also take the cognitive load out of prioritizing, right? Like you arrive at, arrive at the fridge and you're overcome with all these impulses and you're a dumb ape and you have to like do this mental gymnastics to figure out like what you should eat. And if you've, Define that in advance in a clear way that takes the decision away from you in the moment. Um, you, it's it's simpler. It's uh, you're much more likely to succeed. It's like uh, what's the like? I think yeah. Like anytime you define a goal, you have to. Def- it's best to define it in a way where there's a clear success and failure condition. Like there's a deadline. There's like a measurable outcome. Like in a success case and a failure case. Um, otherwise, you just like kind of don't do anything. Um, and, yeah. uh, yeah, have a very bad relationship with yourself. Yeah. If you, if you do that, but then you're just a non-player character living in the ambiguousness. Yeah, the exactly. That is life. <laughs> exactly. Then you're just, you're just into the current thing. Yeah. How have you thought about building your values or code as a pseudonym? Like, has it made it easier in some ways where it's like, this is the, this is the avatar that I'm building out into the world. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, <laughs> yeah, the, I, I definitely don't think that like agile has different values to me, but I think that, uh, like I, I really want to, the reason for the pseudonym, the, the thing that's helpful for is like compartmentalizing relationships because I really want, like, I, I, it's really important to me that I treat people a certain way in my personal life and that I have a certain kind of relationship with people that is like as 
honest and um, sincere as possible. And 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 so, whereas Agile is a co-founder of of a tech company, and you have to be ruthless, right? Sometimes you have to chop heads. Sometimes you have to you have to um, in order to uh, in order to build. You you, sh- you shouldn't always act as though a, a business or an organization is just a tool, um, because it is comprised of people, and you have to treat it like an organism and have treat it like like ensure that it's healthy. It's not just a machine, but you do also have to view it like a machine and build it in such a way and do all these hard things and have all these hard conversations that you don't always want to have. And so it's helpful for me to kind of like. And I think also, again, maybe like self-betrayal is, an, is, a, is another thing here that has happened in the past is it's like when I previously went through the process of creating businesses, uh, I, um, I didn't, wasn't as self-aware about the impact that I had on people when I was their boss or like the impact that it had, you know, people having to traverse me as both like a friend and, a co- and like a boss or something like that. Mm. And I've I've made a bit of a mess of some relationships in the past where, you know, I've leveraged my relationship capital to get someone to do something for me, you know, in a, in a commercial context. And then they've resented that or, you know, or the other way around or someone perceived the relationship to be one way. And then, you know, in a business context, I've had to say, you know, like I've had to, pri- I've prioritized business over their well-being, and then they felt very betrayed. And so I think it's like, um, the, the, having the pseudonym is actually an expression of, I guess, a value that I've come to have, which is like to have separation, like clear separation between some of yourselves, because, you know, like you want them to be integrated, but you also don't want to believe like, man, I, I really don't want to live a life anymore where I believe that I am a CEO of a tech company and that's my identity. And like, that's where I draw all my self-worth from. And because then like, you don't actually like a CEO of a tech company is not a good, is not the right entity to participate in lots of things. You know, if you want to have, (laughs) so like, while it's definitely it's an entity that is typically very high status and maybe very like good for your serotonin you know and your and it makes you very feel like a big ape when you're in the in a lot of different rooms you're actually excluded from a lot of different experiences and and kind of situations that are actually more valuable to me than you know commercial success and so so yeah that's kind of like that's like the main reason I've set up kind of agile and and why I like to compartmentalize. And um, yeah, it, it definitely helps because yeah, my, my values are different depending on the room, like the, 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 the group that I belong to. And if that group is my family, I have different, I act out different values than if that group is my business. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's the right thing to do. Are you familiar with internal family systems? Do we do we jump on this last time? No, I've never heard of that. What is it, dude? So I mean, you're doing it already. Like it's crazy. So internal family systems uh, is it's basically a psychological process that's had a lot of success lately, especially with people with extreme schizophrenia, where acknowledging that there are many many minds, one self, or many selves, one mind. Like we have very different things within us. 
and you bring them all to like a boardroom table essentially and you name each and every one of them and, and you know a lot of people with schizophrenia came from a very traumatic experience where they split their experiences and you actually go and sit with and ask you know each person gets their turn says what they are and like it's a tool i've used to try to see like different parts of myself different areas that i've had issues and different areas where i want to have success but it's kind of like you brought one of these things out into the world made it an avatar and i actually i think that's insanely healthy like it's very interesting mm-hmm. i've never heard anybody make that case for a pseudonym but it makes so much sense to me yeah well i think um society like people we have an identity crisis like as a in western society right where like we're told we don't know like our our history the value of our history is being challenged there's uh like there's like uncertainty about the future and now and so we don't know who where we've come from and whether that's good or bad we might have been a colonist or you might have you know come from slavery or something like that and you don't know how to feel about that you've got you know we've got this too much information about this it's not simple you know it's, uh it's not just what you hear verbatim from your parents anymore and you you don't, we don't know where the future's going. We have all these tools to express ourselves and actualize different personalities. And then we've like rank ordered their value, like monetarily, like in terms of followers and likes and all this stuff. And that just seems really fucked up, man. Like, I really think it's dangerous to, I mean, like, like the, the Jungian conceptualization of the self is that there is a persona, which is the version of you that you project. Uh, and that version of you integrates you know, sort of like the, whatever the group consensus is, it acts in a way which is acceptable to the group or the people who are viewing you. And, uh, and it's not your true self because you, you're self-interested. You want all kinds of things that, you know, maybe you have to transcend this group to get. Um, but, you know, you act in the interest of the groups because group belonging is very important. We're social animals. And so, but, you know, to have, imagine being like a, like someone with, you know, 50 million followers and then like that version of you that, you know, you're actually being famous. People feel like they have a relationship to you. They have a mental model of you. And then they act as though you are that thing when they see you. And then that like makes you that thing. I think you just got like, I, yeah, I, I think you got to keep the persona in check. You know, you got to make sure that it's not, you don't just identify as a persona and that's not your whole self because that's a very narrow sort of sliver of what life actually is. Um, and uh and again i didn't learn this i I learned this through catastrophic failure right (laughs) like i learned this because my self was not robust enough and you know uh, i've had other relationships external to my business fail and i've realized that oh actually there is not this is not uh this version of me is not enough um they're actually i actually have to cultivate other sides to myself in a healthy way no, for sure. And I, I really, I, I really admire that. Honestly, I think it's, I think it's a really smart thing and it gives me a lot to chew on and on how I want to approach that. Yeah. Uh, have you, have you seen severance on Apple TV? No, no. What is oh that? my God. Do you know the concept? Oh my God. Okay. So it's phenomenal show. Highly recommend okay. uh, if you have a flight coming soon or something, dude, it is really, really well done. But essentially what it is, is uh, it's Adam's Adam Scott. Like he, when you go into work, you actually mm. flip off. Right. And so all of your past is gone. And so people within this building, it's done geographically. Within the building, they're basically born as this human 
in that building and they only live in the building and when they leave work, they flip off, like, flip on again into their normal state. So their work life and home life is severed, severed. Okay. And it's, uh, dude, it's, it's wild. It's just a really well done show. Absolutely wild. Interesting. So you, is it, how do they kind of become severed? Like what's the technology? It's a, the- yeah, there's a, so basically it's like they input like a Neuralink S thing into their brain and it keeps all their, their motor functions. They can do math. They like, no history of things, but they have no memories or experience as an individual from birth until that moment. Whoa. Yeah. Cool. And it's, yeah. On, and they, it's on the Apple one. It's on Apple, yeah. Hey. Yeah. It's phenomenal, dude. I had uh, Western, you know, entertainment jammed down my gob since I was a kid, right? So it's all the Star Wars and Marvel movies that I've put in my head that I now, I now don't watch those, but now, uh, now that I'm not putting that stuff in all the time, you know, stuff comes out that kind of like embodies it a little bit. I remember like on the topic of consumption and creation, I, uh, I think this, I, I, I had this realization, this was during, I think 2020 during like peak COVID and I was staying with my family. Uh, and the, the one thing that kind of really frustrated me was every single day. So like my dad's side of the family lives up in Queensland. It's kind of like the, the Florida of Australia. It's where you go where the weather's <laughs> nice and you kind of, he's, he's getting old. And so he's moved, sold up everything and moved up there into a smaller place. And he's, uh, you know, cause his knees, his knees suck and he doesn't want to be in as much pain. But during COVID, him and my stepmom, they just watched the news. And it was basically, this was back when Trump was still in office. And so it was like the COVID and Trump show. That was basically what was relevant. Um, And it was just like Trump and COVID updates every day. And uh, yeah, like I I kind of had this realization, you know, like I didn't want to watch the news with them. I didn't want to be around all this information. I didn't want to put it in my head because I know that it just makes me unhappy. And these topics are not relevant to me They're It's matters that are out of my control. And it's also information that's been packaged up in a way to be inflammatory and full of hyperbole. So it's also not useful for knowing anything. And like, so I didn't want to put it in and I was trying to come up with an argument. Like I was trying to figure out how to persuade them, you know, had to stop fucking watching this shit, this shit. And, uh, and I think I'd kind of noodled on it for a while. And I realized like, you know, uh, I think that if you, if you, if you put all this stuff in, you know, we've kind of all got this, like what they call it, the God shaped hole, you know, we've all got this like void that we, we need to, we, we need to escape the human experience. We need to put stuff in. But if you, if you can actually sit in the, the nothingness, if you can sit in the, in the, you know, eventually stuff comes out, you know, you sit down and meditate, thoughts come up, things come out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you're not putting stuff in constantly and then you actually sit down and, and think and meditate, or you, you do, you just allow yourself to exist. Things will come out, which surprise you. Cause it's not just like, cause mostly the things that come out are just like, you know, echoes of the things you've put in. Um, and anyway, I, I, I ended up sort of saying to them, like, they weren't really convinced, but they're old and I forgive them. They can do whatever they want. Like, um, <laughs> but like, I, I kind of realized that, 
if you don't put stuff in, you're going to have an urge to do something. You know, you're going to, you're going to, something's going to come out. It's not a void. It's kind of like more like a portal. And, mm. you know, my, my brother lives down the road with my nephew. And I sort of said like, you know what, if you guys weren't so busy watching the fucking news, like, and getting upset and then going and going on Facebook and getting upset about it, like you might, you know, you might have an idea for like a, a song to go sing your, ne- your, your grandson down the road, my nephew. And, you know, and then if you didn't put the news in the next day, you might go and sing it again and you might create this meme or this like bit of culture that exists within our family. And then if you had even, even a greater appetite for, 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 you know, um, for novelty, but you couldn't just jam this crap down your throat, you then might get a bunch of families together to go have, you know, some kind of barbecue. And then, then we go from like hanging out with the family to like hanging out with, bunch of families then we have the harvest festival then so on and and then and then you know what you stop putting like fucking american politics in and america will come out you know what i mean like Mm. uh, and so like oh shit i I said this like i told my friend james this who's like my he's like he's a smart boy reads a lot more than me but he he sort of said that this is actually an idea of nietzsche's which is like you have to be the self-perpetuating wheel you know and so and I think if you are just jamming information in your head all the time, you know, you don't actually go anywhere. You just like, you, you just numb yourself with, you know, this information and you've got to, you got to, you got to, you got to at least like be pent up enough, repressed enough to like want to do something or bored, restless enough to want to accomplish something. Whereas if you're never bored, you're never restless and then you never fucking accomplish anything. Right. Um, and so, but yeah, but you, but like, I don't know, all these, all these things that, um, you know, where, that are around us, they emerged, you know, where they come from, like people were fucking restless and they came up with ideas and then they, you know, then they made stuff. So, um, stop watching the fucking Trump and COVID show. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> dude i've i do that you stop putting american politics in and america will come out like holy shit bro that is like very 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 true i i, I enjoyed that a lot gotta break the fourth wall there and just say yeah. that was excellent well you're very um, interested in like network states and making new countries and stuff like that right yeah definitely I yeah i think um it'll be interesting to see i'd like to see some of those emerge i think um you know uh, I don't, the, the things that you need to do to make a state, you know, in, historically, I don't have the stomach for those things. Um, and so, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to, without having to be practitioners of violence, we'll get to make some kind of weird network state or some kind of weird meta, these kind of meta organizations that are digital, but, um, that will be interesting. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I think we talked about this last time, but like, Buckminster Fuller fan. Are you familiar with him? No. Okay, so our Buckminster I've Fuller. Heard of, I've, I've uh, heard like one quote. Is he the guy that said like to reform the society, you have to make it obsolete? That sounds right. That sounds like something he would say for sure. But uh, yeah. he's he's most famous for creating the Buckyball or uh, the geodesic dome, also okay. known as. It's like the the greatest surface area uh, with like smallest amount of mass of a structural object. 
uh, it was like it's in Montreal, like an example of one for the World's mm. Fair. But yeah, the one I've thing seen, he did I've seen say, people that make uh, they make like greenhouses out of geodesic domes or like I've, I've seen the structures yes. before, either at like raves, like mm-hmm. like uh, like Bushdoofs or uh, or for like conservation or all kinds of more modern structures leverage them. Yeah, yeah, uh, but one of his one of his core tenets is we need to leave the old revolutions, which were political and economic violence, like violent revolutions, and move to a design revolution, which I think is really in line with, you know, when you're building something in in a system where all data is is there, all interactions are there. I think mm. we can start to design some really interesting things. Uh, mm. Another thing that he said, which I'm always obsessed with, is a 10-year-old wrote him, like, what do I do with my life? Mm. And he said, whenever you come across a word you don't know, look it up and write it five times. That's the step one of what you do with your life. And then two, ask, what is the thing that's within my capability that nobody else is working on? And then work on it until it's finished. Because words are tools. Yeah, like words are tools and they're the tools of humans. Like the most basic tools of our minds are words. So Mm. those are incredibly powerful. And then two, find something that nobody else is working on and work on it until it's done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fascinating, dude. That's those are, those are both good, uh, like rules for like one, the first good rule for learning. Um, and the second, a good rule for being useful, right? Like, like, and, and doing, spending your time in a way, which is, you know, uh, if what you create is valuable, um, you know, you're, you're not just replicating work or whatever. I like that. There's not many rules that I think have exceptions. Like, I mean, for a 10 year old, that's pretty good. You know, you don't need to explain mm-hmm. why that's, 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 that's a pretty good rule. I'm gonna pinch that. I'm gonna tell my kids that. Yes, for sure. You should read critical path. It's one of the greatest books of all time. It's insane. Critical uh, path by, by Buckminster Fuller. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you a podcast I did on it where it was just like 10 quotes. So you can get, get a catch, a catch a vibe. Uh, but you had a, a tweet that it's much easier to get rich than be useful. Some of us need to become useful. Otherwise, the music stops. Yeah. I think in Web3 right now, you know, there's a lot of getting rich sometimes. A lot of exit <laughs> liquidity happening from yeah. from people. But, you know, not a lot of usefulness. Like, what, what did you mean by that? Well, I just mean that, like, the the capitalist system works because it leverages natural selection and things die. Things die and the things that don't die create lots of value. And there's a massive incentive to try new things. And we like as if our in a changing environment, having like lots of different strategies play out, you know, like your sort of suggestion of like, you know, seven seven thousand countries with a million people, um, would be would be would result in far more uh, experimentation and far more, uh, sort of natural selection. I think, um, uh, yeah, we're kind of, we got like climate crisis, you know, asteroid could show up at any time. We got this new technology, new like technology that allows us to blow each other up. Like we've got all these problems that there aren't clear solutions to, you know, like even the cold war, like, you know, like reached a stale, like a game theoretic conclusion, but like there's still nuclear subs everywhere. And like, look at what's happened. Well, the conflict that's happening between Russia and Ukraine right now. Like, we, we've never—I don't—I don't know if we've lived through a, 
a nuclear state completely failing and uh and then having had to deal with the consequences of like you know less cap those nukes falling into less capable or less rational hands right so we're not necessarily out of like nuclear you know extinction threat it's not like it's a solved problem and we have to innovate our way out of all of these like impending threats you know the environment changes there's new threats new things that could completely obliterate us and we have to like innovate our way out and if uh if everyone's just like playing a zero sum game of like creating a company that looks like a company and then like selling you know selling that dumping their bags on the market and we don't actually end up creating more productivity or creating things that allow us to be more resilient to uh you know to these threats like 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 climate change or whatever we're boned you know like uh and so yeah you, like capitalism doesn't like capitalism works because the 0.001% of things that really work are where all the value is and uh and i think it would work better if we all tried in earnest to be useful rather than just to make money um and and who knows how you define useful but like if you made it's like everyone's like seems to have this idea that like Elon Musk has got all his money out of nowhere but like the bloke actually tried to solve real problems you know like he's like made companies that are addressing our biggest problems and then he's and then now they're all they're, they're he's taken like some of them to the public market where anyone can invest and who like why wouldn't the companies solving the most important problems be the biggest ones in the world you know and so like everyone just wants to like i think uh yeah like everyone is sort of more interested in getting rich which i kind of understand because you know like you it's not it's it, it's uh you know you haven't had the the spiritual you haven't experienced the spiritual poverty yet of getting rich you've been promised this thing and you're like this will solve all my problems and then it doesn't you still just an animal that can die very easily and and is exposed to the threat of all these problems and then you got to figure out what to do about that and so yeah i don't know i ever this thing when i say the music stops is it's like if if we actually if there wasn't an elon musk if there was just you know a million justin sons or like you know people doing crypto ponzi's and there wasn't people actually building things that were going to be useful in the future um then the music stops and crypto is really guilty of this not like while there's a lot of scams in crypto there's also a lot of projects there's also a lot of things that exist in sort of the realm of sincerity uh and but also naivety and they are sort of like bad projects to invest in because of their naivety like you can have a project which is like especially somewhere like polkadot where it's new and emerging um or this has happened cyclically in every ecosystem but you have like a whole bunch of projects that emerge and project a is like i'm going to build a i'm going to build this amazing system that's going to revolutionize something but i'm in actually i've got these three problems that i need to solve and then project b is like oh we're going to build a thing that solves problem a and b and then we'll do it for all these people and then you know someone comes along and says i'm going to leverage system you know all these things and build something new and you get into this like circular dependency of like everyone's like business justifying everyone else's business and it doesn't actually make any sense like you've, you've actually the the axioms you know that you're based the whole vision on are kind of uh are wrong 
And, uh, and the reason it, can, it happens is because like venture capitalists will fund it and they can deleverage and sell their coins to the retail market um, in, a, in a completely like, uh, like in, a, in, in a not that regulated manner. Um, but at the same time, I don't know, mate, I also think that's good. Like the fact, like the fact that anyone can participate in investing is clearly something that people want in a world where, uh, in a world where there's information, you know, less information asymmetry, it's kind of all out there. And, uh, people who can actually parse signal from noise, if they're allowed to invest, they can change their lives and they can actually, um, lev- like bring up the wealth of their family. So I don't know, but yeah, we got to be useful. There's, there's, I don't judge people who do, to, who do anything really on the spectrum of like, of like insincere to sincere, because I accept that people are going to do it, you know, but if we, uh, like a bit like the boomers, you know, like if we just all get it while it's good <laughs> and uh, then we're going to get pwned. There's, there's a saying, um, which is, uh, you know, I think it's like society prospers when men plant trees, the shade of which they'll never see. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I might be, I might be paraphrasing that wrong, but anyway, I like to like, I don't believe in much but I, I want very much to believe that I am doing something useful because otherwise what's the point, you know? Yeah, man, for sure. And it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in this scheme of what being rich is. Yeah. Um, like this idea of like, cool, I'm going to go out on a yacht with my fucking boys and then we're going to go to 11 <laughs> in Miami and then like, going to like see some fake tits and it's going to be sick. Like that shit can't be that fun for more than like four days. I know. You know what I mean? And then what are you going to do? And then that's where it gets into self-betrayal, you know? And then like, you know, the the woman who would have been the wife of your kids looks at you and is like, oh, what a dickhead and passes yeah. by. And then, it, and then, and then you're back on Tinder at the end of the week again, starting from zero. Um, and uh, yeah, it, but it, this is the thing, man. It's hard to figure out what's good. There's, we don't, <laughs> We don't need most of what we've got, you know, in this strange way, like we have every, everyone has a purpose in society because we're all just like selling each other shit. We don't need. <laughs> it's very, it's very hard. I can't make heads or tails. Dude, so this is, this is, this is the hard thing. Like, because like my ultimate vision is like, if we can build a new business model of media, we'll increase sincerity because right now, our business model of media is prostitution, right? It's like right. the the brands are the pimps, the or the advertisers. The prostitutes are the creators, and the Johns are us. And it's like we are just being our we're just being sold this bill of goods. And it's it's insane because what it's done more than anything is it's propped up tens of thousands of products that shouldn't exist. Yeah, like and if. If, if we actually succeed in changing the business model, then like the GDP is going to decrease dramatically because so much of the consumption is nonsense, but it never needed to be there anyway. And we would end up solving a lot of our energy problems because we're putting energy, which at the end of the day, we should have like an energy metric, not a like mm-hmm. consumption metric as what we see as the stimulation of our economies. But like that, it's crazy what would happen in this world, like because a lot of it would fall. Because it's just being propped up on paying by VC money, paying for eyeballs and stuff that people do not want or need, but they just see it constantly and therefore decide to consume it because they are unsure of what they want. Hmm. Yeah, well, 
I mean, maybe one argument for consumer consumerism and waste and capitalism is it's like if we didn't have all that stuff, we'd probably just be killing each other. We'd get real bored, and we'd just we'd all just be, we'd all, we'd just be slamming each other's heads into rocks and murdering each other. And, uh, and at least this gives us like a really like you know like uh, I, I suppose perhaps like it's actually ethical to retard our like our urge for competition into like some sort of like into into things like fashion you know and uh and other status games that aren't just like who can crut who can hit the other guy with a rock the hardest um but uh we would just yeah. have like ten thousand more types of sports you know we would just need <laughs> yeah. to really rely on sports lots of sports everyone's working out all the time <laughs> yeah well sports is sports is better those are good competitions um like you don't uh yeah, it's it. You're probably uh, you're not going to get sick as much if you if your competition is sports. You know, I think uh, it's much healthier. I mean, I, maybe there's cause for optimism around things like NFTs and stuff. If we can make all of our uh, all of our consumerism, you know, actually not uh, not require producing anything in reality, you know, and you just uh, you we all just uh, organize society over who has the most valuable cat picks. Um, that's, that seems okay. You know, that's, that's how we get the carbon down. We get to carbon negative is we, uh, we just all, we, we, our whole economy is cat picks. I mean, what's crazy, what's absolutely insane though, if you think about like a meme ward, like that has a big following on the internet that uses that to pay for their lifestyle, like we're not that far off of that. Like that is a reality. Like the best meme ward is making millions of dollars meme warning about cat picks. You know what I mean? And now it's like, well, now they actually get to own it and they'll probably make more money because it's not just, you know, selling their audience for pennies to an advertiser. It's like, no, their audience is in alignment with them. They're trying to build it all together. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Like I think um, the advertising model needs to go. Like if people... I, I mean, I think maybe it, it doesn't really serve to, um, I, I, like, I think if p- potentially what it is happening is we have a bunch of c- corporations, you know, that sort of think what new products can we make for people? And then when they make them and then they come up with stories about why to buy them and they jam them down people's throats. And that's kind of been like, you know, at least in the United States, like I know that that's kind of the story of history is you have the military industrial complex that goes and fights a bunch of wars. And then you got to figure out, you got all this infrastructure to manufacture food for the troops. And then after the war's done, you got to figure out how to market TV dinners to housewives, you know, um, mm-hmm. and you got to figure out how to market Vegemite to, uh, to Australians, which they did so successfully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, oh my God. but yeah, like if, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe the things that remain, you know, like maybe the things that we continue to produce will actually increasingly be the things that matter because for sure, everyone, because everyone's too busy buying cat picks from each other and uh, they just need cat picks and, and a healthy diet. And that's all they need. Um, Good to go. <laughs> I hope. Good. <laughs> Bro, I will say like the quality of my life when I'm just looking at dog memes most of the day, it's incredibly high. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like it's way better than CNN, dude, or yeah. Fox. Like, I'd much rather just see a bunch of fucking dogs being cute. I've gotten yeah. really into monkeys lately. Like, wow, those are some adorable things. Yeah, dude. Yeah, anim- just looking at pics of animals is is like that's like better than most of the information that you could consume. 
for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, it's like Nassim Taleb dog pics, healthy diet of both. Like you'll be a very, <laughs> very happy and thoughtful human, you know, yeah. navigating the world well. Yeah, Little yeah. Sam Harris in there. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> dude, um, let's go a little bit into GPT-3. Uh, something that, yeah, is a strange wormhole that I've been enjoying lately. I think about two years ago, I started fucking around with it when they released that kind of beta for everybody to like write stuff. That was weird. And then one of my friends built a company on top of it called Jarvis, where it's a copywriting AI and they've got a lot of funding. Like Sam Altman's invested, they're crushing it. Um, Mm. But he sent me one of my old bosses, like if they had written it and it's the funniest shit I've ever seen. It still, still needs some work. But what are your, what are your thoughts on it? Um, well, actually, I've had uh, when I was in uh, Amsterdam very recently, catching up with my old business partner Tom. We were getting a bit existential talking about AI. Um, I, 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 I think GPT three is pretty insane. And the the other the thing I've been looking at recently as well is is Dali. I don't know if Dali is GPT three or like, um, but it's like leveraging like natural like able to create images based on natural language. Um, and I think the way that this is created is you have like a bunch of AIs that are designed to figure out what images are, like, what is this a dog or is this a cat? And then you create an adversarial network to try and trick it into, you know, uh, and then you end up with an, an AI that's really good at making pictures of dogs and cats. And you do that across many different dimensions. And you've got an AI that's good at making different things in different styles of different objects and subjects and compositions. And then you also have natural language. And so you can be like, hey, draw me a picture of a dog watching a sunset. But um, yeah, man, AI is uh, is scary as a tool from the perspective of like as a tool of power. I think it's pretty crazy because it has the ability to like, I think, colonize and reshape like the Internet, uh, which the Internet and the how information is organized on the Internet it massively impacts how people organize themselves, you know, like for certain countries to function, they have to censor the internet. They have to have their own internet. They have to like, like the information landscape, I guess, can be colonized and uh, terraformed by these AIs. And that means that it has this sort of backwards impact on, on the world because the information that we consume frames our perception. Like I, like I find, I don't know what's true. Like I, like in order to know what's true, I just trust people. If you go on Wikipedia, right, like, how do you know any of history happened? But like, the only reason you can approximate that any of it happened is because it's like referenced and it's linked. And so, you know, you go to this, you go to the, the, the Wikipedia page for World War Two, and then you go to this Wikipedia page, Archduke, Archduke Ferdinand, and then you go to this, and then you link this, and then you traverse this like web of information, and it's all connected. And so you know that, it's true. It's because it doesn't exist in a vacuum. But when you can create like a multi-dimensional information space like that with GPT three, and you could just rewrite history, and then every, and then imagine in real time, you're like, oh, you know, um, oh, you know, uh, Trump is a is a space emperor from Mars. You know, tell me more about that, like the history of Mars. <laughs> and then you just click Mars, and then it immediately takes you to Mars. It's like Mars, the 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 uh, the big gray thing that orbits Earth and uh, and uh, like uh, set makes influences the tide and you're like oh Mars is the moon cool tell me more about that and you can just like arbitrarily create this like 
I mean, maybe it grows in complexity, like to justify and to be convincing, but the fact that we can create, you know, information, like non, like any information, true or false, like false at this ridiculous scale is pretty scary because it can, you can use it to, I feel like you could like, I don't know, like 51% attack history or something like that. If that makes sense. For sure. No, a hundred percent. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, it's kind of like, are you familiar with the mandala effect? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, was that just a GPT-3 experiment that we didn't hear about? Like, you know what I mean? Like, because, like, a huge portion of the population, like, thinks something happened one way or something was spelled one way. Like, the Berenstein Bears is the one that, like, really fucked me up. I don't know if you guys had those (laughs) as a kid, but, like, I was like, wait, that's how you spell it? I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) It actually did, though. Yeah, what's what's the Mandala effect thing that that gets me? There was... What are the Tower memes? seven. There's a, few, no. there's a there's a few Mandala effects memes. Like one is like it was Shaq in Shazam, or was it called something else? So like, uh, yeah, the Berenstein Bears. There is one. Yes. Uh, that that is culturally relevant to my childhood, but I forget what it is. Yeah, dude, it's a strange thing, man. And it, I do I do think they will be able to like fifty one percent attack, especially like Wikipedia. Like that's such an easy thing to go for them to go rewrite and edit, you know, at like a scale that we can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, or like Twitter, right? Or like, yeah, it's gonna be very, very interesting to see. I was not optimistic with uh, Sam's general outlook on the world when he decided to build WorldCoin too. I was like, tight. Yeah, so like, now we have AI <laughs> that now has every iris of all humans. Like, this yeah, is man. what we need. That's hectic. I was like, I what mean, are you trying to do here? I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> I mean, you got to, like, that's one worldview. Like, like, like global, global identity system, global currency, you know, uh, the the thing that's scary is just i think all of these systems kind of make sense but you need them to compete you know like having like one like having one social credit system just means that uh whatever the dictates of the people atop you know are you know you just have to abide by those whereas if there's many social credit systems they're kind of they can be tools for efficiency and tools to provide value um like just being in um being in uh, Amsterdam recently, like that's an incredibly socialist place where people like, it's very, everyone lives closely together. It's kind of like Japan for white people, man. It's this very unique like society where everyone's weirdly tall and, uh, and they live in this very <laughs> intimate way and uh, they all ride bikes. It's very organized and very efficient. And uh, but it's a very socialist place. A lot of places in Europe are a lot more socialist than Australia. Maybe that's like, like, you know, uh, speaking the obvious to a lot of people that live there, but um, yeah, those in, in, a, in an environment like the, the like Europe, where you had like many sort of digital systems all competing, they can be they can clearly be something that creates lots of value for people who live in in these systems, but just don't want to have one and one only, right? Because then, like you said, um, you know, we don't know what we're going to need to do. Uh, the environment will change, but um, anyway, that's a, this is an aside from AI. AI is scary, man. I just think we're going to get someone that it's possible that in our lifetime we are colonized by whatever that means by somebody with AI. You know, we're just, we're, we just get told this is the new rules for society and there's no, and there's no arguing and you can, 
you know, like many peoples who have been colonized in the past, you can either fight and die for what for, for the way that you used to live, or you can assimilate into this new thing, and you don't get you don't get a say in it. And uh, and even when they say, you know, you can have this, you can have this new thing, it's not going to, it's you know, it's uh, they might be over promising, they might be over representing exactly what you're going to get. Uh, and uh, yeah, AI is pretty full on. I think um, I think. Uh, uh, we're in a this sort of an all-out race now. I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad this stuff's happening in the U.S. You know, I think uh, uh, there are still like good values. Like e- even um, a lot of people in the U.S. Like like in Australia and the U.K. Like we we have this Judeo-Christian sort of like root to our culture where we have reciprocity, and that's very valuable. Like if you know, I'd like reciprocity to be a part of the future AI new world order. You know, if, uh, if it wasn't, that would suck. Yeah, man. Let's, uh, let's transition a little bit into, into Polkadot stuff a bit. So <clears throat> one thing that feels like it's very not there in the ecosystem, which I enjoy, but when I'm communicating to my friends who are in other ecosystems, they're feeling like it's lacking, is like the role of like super hype, like marketing memes, DJ Moon Boys. <laughs> like this just like pumping like it doesn't really exist at least i haven't seen it a lot in the poker ecosystem which is great for people who are like, building long term but i'm trying <laughs> to get my friends excited to come into it they're like who the fuck i'm, I'm not gonna see like any thousand x returns anywhere like what are we doing i'm like because right. we're building something but like it's like i'm trying to figure out how to balance that like how do you think about that um i've been saying this a lot recently because i've had to like for talisman we've gotten to a point now where we have a product in the market and we have to plot a, a more long-term sort of uh course for for the future of the business and so i've been thinking a lot lately that like decentralization is a cost center and uh this ecosystem i think is not going to compete in the short term with something like solana or ethereum you know, where there's massive network effects in Ethereum and there's you're spoiled for choice in terms of what applications you can use if you can afford to leverage the network. Or, you know, you can use a side chain if you can afford, like you bother to, if you're experienced enough to deal with the bridges and you're willing to accept that risk, or you can go to Solana. Um, but decentralization, it's harder to build decentralized apps. It's harder to use decentralized apps. Things that are actually decentralized, it's hard to understand how decentralized they are. But decentralization is the real value proposition. And that means that these things aren't censorable. They're unstoppable. If you have a worldview, um, you know, if you have an opinion on how the world should work and you you can come to Polkadot or you can come to a any uh, ecosystem that's building something like decentralized, unstoppable blockchain stuff, and you can express that, you know, uh, your values in, in a system which is then going to impose itself on the world. People will value decentralization more in the future, but we have to figure out, we have to go to where people value it now, and we have to figure out how to explain it to people, uh, the people who would, who would value it if they understood what it was, we need to figure out how to explain that to people. And just in the same way that privacy has become more central to public discourse, and people have uh, started to use Signal and started to use other services that allow them to have privacy, and that's just like the zeitgeist changing, people waking up to, you know, this more, um, this, the, the sort of the co- this complex reality that you need some privacy uh, or that like privacy is not, you don't implicitly have privacy. Um, yeah, like that transition kind of has to happen. And that will happen because 
I don't know, there's failures of centralization. Um, but there's people in the world now that would really like a decentralized solution to a lot of things. And really, we just have to go, we have to go there. I don't think Polkadot, unless you share those values, is going to be more attractive to you compared to another place that has more, <laughs> more momentum in terms of its Ponzi's. Uh, mm -hmm. so. When do you think Polkadot is going to be like fully operational? And I know that like, you know, people are building on it. Like a lot of things are there, but even Akala with Dan, right? Like not all of the, all of the things you yeah. can use are available yet. You know what I mean? It's kind of still like everything's in the works. I, I don't, I don't know. Like I, this is way above my pay grade, to be honest. Like I, um, uh, yeah, but like the vision of Polkadot is is amazing and but i also i'm not i'm not a protocol engineer like i i can't like i i think these are all good ideas and in t and i share values with the with the, the builders i think and and the values that are encoded in this system you know i'm i'm happy to see systems like this exist because i think they're a counter force to other systems and it makes the entire totality of everything better through competition um but uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be a while. Like XCM is very new; they've just turned it on. There's a lot of problems that we're sort of discussing internally at Talisman and trying to figure out. Like it, it's not even clear what the role. Uh, like there's new things that need to be done around XCM. You know, there's new businesses that need to exist that allow people to leverage XCM in certain ways, whether those be decentralized systems or companies or whatever. And people are still figuring out the you know, who, whose job it is to do some of these things. And Talisman might have to step up and do some of these things, like maybe when it comes to teleporting assets across XCM. But even that, even like who's responsible for like bringing these solutions to the market is not clear. So I think it's very early. And another thing that's kind of, kind of happening is like, I think this is a function of, um, you know, uh, a lot of crypto funds are run over four years. And so they expect to have like a value creation over the, like the life cycle of a bull market. Um, and they might raise another fund and double down uh, or they might just, you know, who knows how they actually manage the assets, whether they have conviction over a period longer than four years or not. But, um, but these funds are quite short and also they fund a lot of companies that have like a quite a short life cycle to have a liquidity event. And so even if you wanted to have a run a business, that um, that was going to have a slower path to value, but but potentially more value than uh, than like another business in crypto. You have to compete with that. You're competing in the same labor market. You're competing in the same market of ideas. And so a lot of businesses structure themselves to sort of have a liquidity event and have value creation over the same sort of time horizon, whether it makes sense or not. And so what we're seeing in the Polkadot ecosystem at the moment is a lot of projects implementing the EVM uh, because it's a it's an easy way to get uh, developers to come across to their chains and leverage these chains. And even though, you know, Polkadot is not set up so that if everything was built on the EVM, it would you, we, like all those we would be getting the best value out of it. Like Substrate is um, has has lots of tools for assets and for different things. And it, it, like having an EVM is like having this like black box computer on a single chain where you can make all these tokens and stuff that exist only in the context of that black box computer. There's a lot of fragmentation problems that emerge from everyone implementing the EVM. You know, if you have 
means you have a, a contract that like, doesn't exist on every chain. So you have like a USDC for every chain. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Whereas this is solved by yes. having an application specific blockchain, you know, that maybe is run by Circle that's meant for 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 USDC. And um, uh, so, but th th these chains are doing this because it allows them to get users. It's a fast path to getting users. And they they want to leverage the Ethereum network effect. I think it's actually quite smart on one hand because the Ethereum network effect is so big, but Ethereum is fragmenting. It's not becoming more mm -hmm. consolidated over time. It's becoming increasingly fragmented. And so there's going to be a lot of people that build something, don't really end up having a particularly in, impact, like a large impact on the world. And then they're going to be looking for a way to actually build their vision in a way that doesn't suffer from this massive fragmentation problem. And so they might come over to the ecosystem and build a parachain later. Also, the EVMs, like smart contracts are good for like a version one of something too. So like if you want to create a car, you know, maybe maybe if you want to create a vehicle, a personal vehicle, maybe the the um, the, the progression is like first I make a skateboard, then I make a, you know, a, a, like a, a little trolley or a, or a wagon, then I make a, a, a horse and cart, then I make a, a, a car, then I make a sports car, right? And so you're... You, you don't you don't start at the end state and then make a wheel and then make a chassis so on you iterate and make remake the whole thing again and again to be increasingly optimized um, as you get more certainty about its value and its purpose in the world so smart contracts are a great tool for people to build the version one of something but really what's what is kind of happening is these chains are deleveraging their exposure to the potential of the ecosystem uh, in order to make a short-term kind of business move to try and get builders and ecosystem people. And all the things those people are going to build are, are going to then end up being incredibly fragmented and and being, and they're going to struggle to uh, compete. Well, the, the best ideas can then re-implement themselves as parachains if they want, but it's not going to be the best cross-chain experience. Like the, the, the polka dot, a polka dot with all EVM chains is not going to be the best cross-chain experience. Um, the best multi-chain experience. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I and I don't know. Not, not only do I not know how long it's going to take, but I don't know where it's going because, to some extent, Polkadot doesn't get to decide this stuff. It's not the vision is not set. Um, you know, the in this sort of top-down way, it's not like the Solana ecosystem where it's like a planned economy by VCs and there's going to be a Dex and there's going to be a this and there's going to be a Phantom and so on. And they're all going to work together in order to create value for the shareholders, which are the Solana holders. It's done in this sort of highly decentralized way where people are just going to try and build what uh, things that offer value to builders and, and to chains and to applications. And that's going to lead to fragmentation. I, I mean, I hope that Talisman can be a force for convergence and for composability um, because the network effect, you know, we have to agree on some standards to, to accomplish a network effect. The reason why Ethereum has this amazing network effect now is because you could come to the ecosystem and as a user and you could use 10 applications with the same account and you can use, and then an 11th came and then a 12th came and then a 13th came and, and it became increasingly in the interests of capitalists to build, you know, a, a 10th through nth, you know, uh, Ethereum application. Um, and we agreed on all these, we had all these emergent standards that just became unstoppable, like ERC20 and 721 and 155 and stuff. Um, so, yeah, mate, long, long answer that, short answer, I don't have a clue.
It is. Uh, I have this like I wrote this short story back in the day, and it was about idealists. And, like it is the idealist who suffers most, and it, it does <laughs> feel like Polkadot is the idealist, like Wild West version of of the of the crypto vision. Yeah. So I'm here for it, but it, may, it, it may, sounds like it's going to be a, a long go. Yeah, it, it may it may just not work because it's because uh, the re- what works in reality is like is like a, a, a shittier solution <laughs> if it gets to market faster and it grows faster and it has this like centralized leadership. So, but we'll see. I think, I don't think Polkadot needs to, um, I think Polkadot will be really successful in its, in areas that other chains won't be because it has, it has decided, it has been opinionated about a bunch of things and it's going to be the best solution for some number of things, whether it's the, the, the ecosystem you know, parachains, uh, the, the parachain ecosystem is the ultimate ecosystem in the end, I don't know. But um, but also it's an expression of the values of the people who have made it, you know, to make sure that their idea for what should exist exists and um, and then people can opt out and build in build in their ecosystem should uh should uh should they want to, you know. Yeah. Uh, last time we spoke it was right around the private alpha launch and now <laughs> You're at public beta, you know, you have that it looks beautiful. You can see your NFTs now within your, in your, uh, in your talisman, which is sick, like, you know, cool innovations. It's looking really good. How do you feel? Like, what's the future looking like for you guys? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think what were the thing, the thing we've done well is we've identified what the problem spaces are. And the first one is application support. There's going to be, there's many blockchains. So there's many ways of building applications. And then there's going to be many applications. And we're making, we've nearly implemented uh, like some EVM support and we're going to be rolling out like increased uh, EVM support over the the next sort of 12 12 weeks onwards. And so by having EVM and substrate coverage, I think we've nailed that, you know, applications area of the problem. The second is like, your assets, like if you use many chains, you're going to send money around to many chains and you're going to end up with money all over the place. I think we do a good job of that. I think we can do a, I think we can do a much better job of that. We have a much bigger vision for it, but you know, you can only do so much in a day. And, um, but, but it's entering into interesting territory because this is the biggest team that I've ever run. Um, now, um, I think we have 13, um, the biggest I've run is 12 and, that means that it can't just be run on an ad hoc basis. Uh, it has to be run. There has to be a, 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 a model, a system, you know, that allows uh, or a protocol or a set of protocols that people adhere to. And then I, I just make sure that the protocols are being adhered to like, and I don't actually check up on what everyone's doing. So I have to figure out how to run a bigger team. We, we definitely, we want to do Talisman in this sort of community owned way that we've talked about a number of times. And we're going to start really experimenting with that because we have to reconcile what kind of governance is useful to accomplish the goal that we have and what kind of governance, like what, what is the right amount of governance to, and uh, based on our values and also what we think is pragmatic. And um, so we've got a lot of stuff to figure out, man. We, we have to set up a, an interesting, like, uh, we're going to be setting up like a foundation company where we're going to be trying to bring some governance into the project because the eventual vision, um, like from my perspective at least, is that you know if if we are a monopoly, you're going to need to 
um, like <laughs> you don't, you don't, we, we don't want to be like MetaMask in a bunch of different ways. And so one of those ways is like MetaMask now is a corporation where it always was a corporation, but now like we're, we're seeing the late stage behavior of a corporation, which is like now they're, they are entrenched. They just want to like, they don't want to innovate. They just want to fix what is breaking and make sure that like dApps could be so much better, but they don't want to pass breaking changes down to the ecosystem because it disrupts their cash flow. Um, people be angry with them. Um, there's, there's a bunch of things like they've, they've censored countries that are sanctioned, you know, and fair enough, they have to, they're a corporation, they exist within the context of the law, but like, I don't want to have to make those decisions. You know? Like I don't want to run like a late stage corporation. I'm, I'm, I like creating new things. I like creating new businesses and new ideas and human organizations and things that can then, you know, through protocols and stories and beliefs, like perpetuate themselves. And so we'd like to bring governance into the project. And so that if we are ever faced with the problem of like, oh, we have to censor people from Iran or, you know, or we have to choose to not be listed on the Chrome store, uh, we can just ask, we can just ask the token holders, like, hey, what are you guys, what are your actual values? And then, you know, I think that's healthier. You know, I don't, I'd rather just mm -hmm. make that hand, hand off that decision, frankly, you know, I'm not the best person to make it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess maybe implicitly in that, you know, what I think is useful is more democratic, like, uh, like principles, you know, um, I think if you make something in business that, you know, even though maybe in society we say that monopolies are bad because it leads to competition, like in, in the tech world, everyone knows that they're trying to make a monopoly. Like that's how it works. Yeah. There's like, there's one search it's engine. In the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, there's one search engine. There's one social network. There's one microblogging website. There's one, this, and, and so these, there's one streaming service or there's a couple of big ones. And these things are like winner takes all battles. And, uh, and a lot of people competing for these, these massive markets. And, um, but at the end of the day, you people are trying to make a monopoly and I'm not like, if I do successfully make a monopoly, you know, then I'm going to have this, um, I'm going to have this impact on the world, which like, you know, I don't know what the best way to impact the world is. So if the people who own, who like co-own the thing or like other users or the stakeholders, if they can express what they, uh, what actually matters to them, that, that seems like a good idea. Um, but yeah, we got to do that. We've got to gotta do a bunch of stuff, mate. Like, there's, there's a bunch of things around XCM that we have to figure out. We have to figure out what our role is in relationship to XCM. I think XCM is at the center of our sort of thesis for Talisman. You know, a system like XCM in theory should create some convergence and some standards between chains and, and, be, be, and possibly give us the opportunity to get to something that a user experience, which, you know, is as good as the sort of single chain user experience of Ethereum um, and allows for this massive network effect. Um, but yeah, we don't know. I'm, I, it's exciting though. Like I have to remind myself that like, it's okay if we just fail catastrophically, right? Like, I don't know. I fundamentally don't know what I'm doing and I'm on this journey because I enjoy the, like I enjoy having myself you know, a bit like clockwork orange, you know, having the eyeballs peeled open uh, because by 
having to face challenges that are really complicated and having to question my values and question what I believe. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot on the horizon, but mostly, mostly scaling up and I hope we can minimize the coordination failure. I really do believe though, as long as you don't, you know, commit self-deception, like as long as you don't destroy yourself in the process, there is no failure. You know, these are all just games we're playing. Yeah. If you can, you know, stick true to who you want to be in the world and try and make that world a little bit prettier, like that's, that's the whole point. Yeah, man, exactly. I think in crypto, it's very easy to like in crypto, it would be very easy to take like what we've created and just like extract all the value out of it. Like just like get people to buy at office as a promise. Um, But um, yeah, like I want to, I want to see if there's something to it, you know, like I'm not convinced, you know, that any of this stuff makes sense. And I want to pull the thread. I want to figure out if we can make a different kind of organization. I want to figure out if we can do things any better or if, you know, uh, I'm happy to, you know, I'm happy to give up the game if it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm not capable of doing anything particularly new or valuable, but I've got to figure it out. I'm not, nobody, I haven't, nobody can convince me that, you know, there isn't something to it. And, uh, although I am, I am skeptical. Like I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, a healthy kind of like rational optimist where, uh, I'm optimistic something can be done, but it's, uh, we certainly don't have many projects and founders to draw upon for inspiration. Like there's a lot of people to copy, but we don't necessarily know why they've done what they've done. So, you know, there's a lot of projects that I, that, you know, are considered the, like, the best in class or like the blue chip projects in this ecosystem. But I don't know if they'll be around in four years. And so, and so again, you get it, you yeah. get into this like yeah. problem of like the circular dependency, right? It's like, Oh, we're doing it cause they're doing it and they're doing it cause someone else is doing it. But like do the axioms actually make sense. Um, it's, it seems, mm-hmm. it seems to me that, you know, at the very least tokens and smart contracts allow us to build you know, an account for ownership in a much more scalable way, in a way that can include more people. And I think they can be leveraged to create a sustainable organization. Most importantly, we just have to get a business model. Like we're building something that is clearly needed in the ecosystem and everyone agrees, but um, but it does need to be done in a sustainable way. And so we can't just ask for money from Polkadot or from investors forever. And so I guess self-betrayal for us would be to continue to leverage capital external capital indefinitely and not sort of pay our dues you know um and uh but yeah i i think we'll i think we'll figure out the business model stuff it's a it's all very early i think it's, it's a really exciting opportunity though you know to think through what that business model would be like there's there's the obvious ones that might not be interesting but you know have precedent of like yeah. fees on transactions blah 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 blah. but like what else could there be you know i mean it's such a an open opportunity and i know like don't want to i'm sure you're thinking about this a lot and i don't want you to like be held to anything you say here so we don't have to go with this but but it's interesting yeah i i think i have a couple of ideas like for a while i used to think that the way metamask monetized was really good um i thought it was really elegant because at the very least you know most people in crypto, 80% of people just just hear from a friend, oh, crypto, 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 Bob made lots of money in crypto. Let me get in. Let me put $100 in the game, you know, whatever. Um, 
And then there's like 20% of people that are like the crypto apes, the power users, the builders, the people in foreign countries that are like leveraging it to like get financial independence and these like all these different kinds of rogues all over the world that like are leveraging this tool as a defensive technology with incredible courage. And, um, and, and but most people just want to buy the coins and hold them. And so MetaMask monetizes through swaps, you know, uses a DEX aggregator called AirSwap. And, uh, and so that's a really good idea. Like it, it incentivizes them to grow their user base as much as possible because then those people buy coins and they, they make some, you know, they make some fees on swaps. But I realized like MetaMask doesn't actually make any money by being good at using applications. And that's actually what it's for. Uh, like mm-hmm. as a browser extension wallet, uh, and they have a mobile wallet, but it's their mobile wallet's not as good as rainbow wallet or a lot of other mobile wallets. Um, but so their monetization model does not incentivize them to give a good user experience to people who want to use applications. Um, and so I think it's important for us to think about our business model. We have to be pragmatic. We can't choose a business model with a high probability, like with it, with an, uh, with a, you know, much higher probability of failure because it's idealistic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, because if it's not sustainable, because if, if you can't actually get it to that point of sustainability in a certain amount of time, you know, people deleverage, the team walks away, they go on to greener pastures, whatever, then it doesn't accomplish anything you want it to. So you do have to, yeah. you do have to make compromises on these things. But like, I, I think uh, it would be really interesting to try and figure out how can we monetize in a way that uh, incentivizes us to be really good at integrating with dApps and really good at providing people mm-hmm. a good user experience when they go and use applications. And this could be, um, you know, maybe this is more of a B2B business model. Maybe what, what's actually the person that actually pays is the, is the, is the application. I don't know. Um, but there's a lot, there's a lot of, we could, we could monetize from staking. We haven't done staking so far because there's a protocol limitation on how many people can nominate validators. And there's also a minimum buy-in and, you know, we're trying to be a mass market, like almost like consumer product. Right. And so if you need $3,000 to play, it doesn't really make sense. Um, and so for that business model, it makes more sense to move up the value chain and we don't want it. We want to build something mm-hmm. that's not, you know, an institutional wallet. Um, but it seems, I think Polkadot's going to have uh, like n- uh, nomination or like nomination pools soon where you can like, we could nominate and people could contribute small amounts of dot to us and we could run a pool. Um we could, and there's also seems like it's possible to monetize by providing, you know, infrastructure around XCM. Like, like if you, there's, there's probably going to be new business models in the domain of um, being a, uh, someone who facilitates cross-chain activities in a generalized way that, so nobody, so other people don't have to, um, but I'm not sure. So it's, it, yeah, back to your, like, like your question of like how long until this stuff is really all happening and at scale, like. I don't know when people like when everyone, including us, figures out <laughs> how, to, how to build business models around it. Um, still a lot, lot to figure out. Yeah. For sure. It's exciting though, man. I'm glad that you're thinking about it. One of the most heartbreaking things I've ever experienced in the last few years, which is what a weird sentence to say, but <laughs> it's true. Was I went to the Ethereum Austin conference during South by and sandbox VR was presenting and then in there they had different aspects of the company and for culture they had this whole culture section Mm. and 
their entire culture was just paid advertisers. It was just brands. Yeah. That's what they define culture as because that's who they're looking. They're looking. So it's like, cool, we built this VR. Now what do we do? How do we business small? Oh, let's just go back to advertising. Yeah. And it's like, if we go yeah, through man. this whole web I three mean, process and then end up back at advertising, like we just did the wrong thing again. Like we just built the exact same thing. Like what are we fucking doing? Like, yeah. 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 Well, that like goes back to what I was saying before, you have to originate the culture. You can't just go and say like, what can we get off the shelf that people want to consume? You have to actually mm-hmm. find how you have to bring the culture originators onto the platform and you have to allow them to create their own new thing. And their own new thing is going to look a bit different. And it's probably, you know, like, uh, I don't know, it's not going to be the, if it's going to be different, like, it, you, 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 we're not, if, yeah, if you're, if you're kind of that, some kind of metaverse or some kind of like new uh, place that you can colonize and you can build a community and a culture exists within, within the context of the current system, it will inevitably inherit like all of these things from it. Um, that's why like all these weird internet movements start out so incredibly esoteric, you know, mm-hmm. like that's how, this is how frogs, yeah. this is why frogs are so a part of our culture, man. It's like, um, yeah. you, know, you got, you got to like, this. <laughs> we have to, uh, we have to build upon our own culture that we've created um, and, uh, and figure it out, have many iterations. Dude, let's, uh, let's start to wrap this up, but I do want to contradict myself and let's talk about a brand very important to my heart. Uh, <laughs> you tweeted about, you tweeted about a bill, billabong Velcro crypto wallet and I <laughs> fucking died because like growing up in Hawaii, that was the wallet, dude. Like, I want one of those so bad. And what's really interesting is that like Hawaii and Australia, well, like, and maybe California would like understand that reference, but then the rest of the world has no concept of what that is, which is like a weird thread line through everything we've talked about today. But it's just like seeing that, and I was like, yes, that was the fucking shit. That's so funny to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I didn't realize that that brand existed in Hawaii and California, but that's funny. Basically. Yeah, I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure a billabong is a is a probably an indigenous Australian word by the sound of it. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, do you know what a billabong is? Do you use that word? I mean, I know the brand from surfing. I don't know what, a there's like a, I don't know there's another word outside of it. Yeah. A billabong is a body of water. Uh, like it's, you know, like there's a million really? names. Yeah. It's a million names for different, um, bodies of water, you know, like the Dutch have dikes and Australia has billabongs and, you know, all these things. But let me, like, I think I, I'm pretty sure it's a body of water. Let me just check here. Yeah, it's an Australian term for an oxbow lake. Who the fuck knows what an oxbow lake is? Uh, <laughs> but uh, so there you go. So I'm glad. I'm glad That's that awesome, some man. Australian, you know, brands have made it across across the uh, across the ditch, as we say. Um, I uh, whenever I'm in, actually, I come to visit Brisbane uh, reasonably often because my girlfriend's family and my family are both in uh, in Queensland. And uh, whenever I'm nice. at the Brisbane airport, I always buy, I always go to the Rip Curl store and buy some, you know, random piece of, uh, of <laughs> like surfing fashion attire. But yeah. I quite yeah. like it a lot. It's the best, dude. It's what I grew up on. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, dude, thanks again for your time, man. Love talking to you. Yeah, Definitely want to, you know, keep it going, man. I'm excited to see what you guys are building. I think, you know, it's amazing to see how much has changed since our last combo. 
in November. And, you know, I'm excited. I think think I'll figure this out and excited to keep going deeper with you. Awesome. Thanks for your time, man. As yeah, as usual, enjoy the chats and uh, thanks for giving me a platform to say all the all the mental shit that's coming out of my head. And uh, yeah, stay well. Let's chat soon. Sounds good, brother. See you today. Peace.